Well, good morning again. I hope you have already had an uplifting time in our worship, um, but I hope more than you having an uplifting time that, uh, that God has truly been praised, not just from what's come out of your mouth, but what's been in your heart, because that's what God is looking at. He doesn't care how good you sound or how necessarily how loud you are. What he cares about is that your heart is right with him. And that uh, is, is clear in so many passages, so many ideas, and especially as we dive further into this series this morning with the story that we will see uh, with Job. Have you ever come to your breaking point? You know, everyone has one of these points whenever you, you just enough is enough, and you've gone to that breaking point. I can think of several times in my own life, maybe some of them that I'm proud of and maybe some that I'm not so proud of. I remember in high school, I moved halfway through my junior year, but before that, I was, uh, I was a, uh, well, before and after, I was a basketball player, but I considered myself a pretty good basketball player where I was. It was a state-bound team. I was, uh, I, I was one of the main guys that was going to be taking us to state, and I was excited about this, doing all the things, and then we move. So I get involved with the new basketball program. But, you know, the thing is, since I'm the new kid, I have to start on the low, you know, start on the low ring, which I, I had no problem with. I want to work for my stuff. But then I realized that then that basketball program was a whole lot different, that it, you kind of had to know someone there, and it frustrated the tar out of me. It made me just want to work harder and harder. I got stronger, faster. Um, I was better than I ever was before, but it didn't seem to do anything, and I just remember that breaking point. Whenever I'm just like, I'm done. And I really, like, I, my parents had to kind of talk me off a ledge uh, because I was frustrated, disappointed, I was done. And someone's going to pay for all this. You've been there? Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. There's sometimes that breaking point, even now, uh, having four girls in my own house, you know, married to one and have uh, three little ones, that whenever I see a woman or a girl mistreated in our community, Oh, the hair begins to raise on my neck, and I am, I'm at a breaking point. And I think that's an okay one, because no one should treat some women like some men treat women. That shouldn't happen. And we got to rise up and stand against some of those things, and that breaking point is probably okay. Even Jesus flipped over a few t uh, tables in the temple one day. I think he had had enough. There was a breaking point. You've ever been there? You ever been to one of those places where you're like, I, enough is enough. I'm done. Today we're going to continue our series when God asks the questions. The, the, the point of the series is not just to, to come and question God with all of our things that we have. We have plenty of questions we might have for God. But instead to sit humbly and listen to the questions God is asking different people in the Bible, but in all reality, he is asking humanity. He is asking you some of these questions, peering into your heart saying, well, what about you? And so this question um, that is so fascinating for me today, this is really one of the, this is the question that led me into this whole series, because it's one of my favorite questions in all the Bible. It's a conversation between Job and God. Job simply wants to know why. He comes to his breaking point. He's like, come on, give me, give me an answer. And when God shows up, he doesn't give him a why, but he gives him something so much more beautiful, so much better than just a reason. 
but we're going to have to get into what that means. Before I get into the dialogue between God and Job, we probably ought to at least walk through the story of Job. So it's a long, long book, so, uh, you know, get comfortable. Just kidding, we're not going to do it all. Job 1, 1 through 3 says this, There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5, 000, uh, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. I don't know where all of his male donkeys were, but, you know, he had 500 female donkeys. They were coming, I guess. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. whole point of these three verses is to show you that Job is rich. All right, he's wealthy. He's a wealthy man. And uh, in, in all reality, who wouldn't want what Job has here? In our day and age, we may not compare it to the camels and the teams of oxen and the female donkeys he has, but he is, what is being described here is that everyone wanted to be Job. Not just with what he had, but he was a blameless man full of complete integrity. Everyone has a reason to look up to Job. Everyone should like this guy. Because uh, we're not given any instance or any understanding of how he got his riches, but it's not by any ill intent or through bad uh, situations, because he's a man of complete integrity. So we see this picture of Job and what all Job has. He's rich. But more than that, we see something else. Next verses. Well, skipping just a little bit of, of what it says. The scene shifts. From telling us who Job is to this heavenly scene, which is kind of strange. In this heavenly scene, it says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. We don't know why. We don't know why he was allowed in this arena. We just know that this is what happens. Satan comes with them. And God sparks a conversation with Satan. Where have you been? Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Pause for a moment. How many of you could God have that kind of praise for? I mean, isn't that kind of cool? God takes a moment and brags to Satan about how righteous and full of integrity one of his guys is. There's a level in which I completely want to, I want to strive to be that in God's eyes. But then I also know the rest of the story, and I'm like, yeah, never mind. Because I'm not sure I want what's about to happen. But before we get to what's about to happen, just think about that for a second. Are you the kind of person that God is actually looking at, to, you know, having a conversation with Satan? He said, hey, have you noticed Mitch down there? That wasn't a joke. Come on. Some people, I tell you what. John, you want me to pick on you then? Have you noticed John down there? <laughs> touche, touche. Well, God wouldn't have that conversation with Satan about either one of us, would he? Because that's the thing. This is, a, this is a wonderful story, but you would want that. 
You want God to be saying, hey, have you noticed them? Have you seen them? Like, this is, this is my kind of guy. This is my kind of gal. Complete integrity, full of righteousness. Is that you? Is it me? Here's the cool part. The conversation doesn't stop. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look at how rich he is. But reach out and take everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan does not dispute the fact that Job is righteous. Another really cool point. Satan knows Job is righteous. He just has the question as to why Job is righteous. See, the book of Job is answering a question that so many people have asked, uh, and it's this question of how does God work with blessings and curses? Does God just give blessings uh, to those who are good and curses and, and negative to those who are bad? And Satan is saying, hey, let's put this to the test. The reason Job is good is because you have protected him. You have given him riches. He has no need. It pays to be good, is what Satan's saying to God. It, it, it pays. So Satan puts down a challenge. He says, all right, take away everything he has, and he's going to curse you to his face. This is the part of conversation that I don't want God and Satan to have about me. I'm fine with the first part. I really don't want this part, because God says, okay, do it. The next verses show us how Job loses everything. Some Sabaeans come in, and, and they take his oxen and his donkeys, and they kill the, uh, the servants that are there. Fire comes down from heaven, and it kills all his sheep and his shepherds. And then the Chaldeans come in and take his camels. And then he finds out, uh, he's hearing this message after message from the one remaining servant that comes. And then the last one that comes says, hey, you know all of your kids... Regularly, we'd get together, and they would go and have you know, some sort of party at one of their houses. They were all at your oldest boy's house, and the wind came and blew the house down, big bad wolf, and they're all dead too. If you look at everything that the story says Job lost, it is exactly all the things that verses 1 through 3 says that Job had. He had all these things, and Satan takes them away in one day. All gone. Have you experienced some loss in your life? I want you to get in Job's shoes for a second. He might still have those. I'm not sure. Get in his shoes. How would you respond? How have you responded whenever you've lost some things that were near and dear to you? Maybe you've had a child die. How have you responded? Maybe you're like me. You, uh, you, growing up, you lost your house in, in a fire. You lost pretty much everything that was defining you to that moment. How did you respond? How would you respond? I'll tell you this, I think Job lives up to his name of righteousness, of understanding of righteousness because of how he responds. His response is this. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. I get that. He shaved his head and then fell to the ground to worship. Is that strange to anyone else? 
He loses absolutely everything, and then he goes to God in worship. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you some insight. I'm pretty sure this isn't the thank you, Lord kind of worship. You know, say, oh, Lord, thank you for taking all this stuff away from me. Those children were being a nuisance. Thank you for ridding me of them before I did it myself. This is not the kind of worship that we're talking about. This worship is grief-stricken worship. This is, a, I don't know why all this stuff has happened, but Lord, I'm still going to praise your name. Wow. God's understanding about Job, that he's bragging to Satan, saying, hey, have you noticed my servant Job? He is righteous. Job doesn't let God down. I love that. Love that. But Satan ain't done. He doesn't quit. He goes back to God and he says, you know what? The whole reason that Job still honors you, that he still praises your name and worships you, is, is because you didn't let me affect his health. If you put someone in a health crisis, they're going to give up on you, God. It's just how it works. That's how this world works. And so God looks at Satan and says, do your worst. Okay, he doesn't say that. He says, he gives uh, Satan permission. Just don't kill Job. That's his only restriction. Don't kill the guy. Later on, Job is wishing for death. And it feels like a curse that God is saying, don't kill him. Job would have rather had death than what happened. See, Satan flicks him with lepers, sores, leprosy sores that are absolutely horrendous. In fact, Scripture goes on to tell us that the only relief, if you can call it relief, that Job had was to take broken pieces of pottery and scrape his skin off. And that was his relief. You can imagine that this guy who was once uh, considered one of the guys... In the whole area, he was the richest man, he was the most righteous man, everyone wanted to be Job. All of a sudden now, no one wants to be near him. He is off by himself. He's having a hard time. I've always wondered why Satan leaves Job's wife around, because his wife shows up and says, why are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? She must have been a piece of work in a lot of ways. Satan, I guess, uh, left her around because he had a plan. This is one more avenue to maybe get Job to curse God. When that doesn't work, he says, Hey, woman, should I accept the good from God and not the bad? uh, Satan has one more plan. He sends his friends. He sends Job's friends to come and comfort Job. Now, they do really good with that at about the first week. Because about seven days, they sit silently with Job, just crying together. Great comfort. That great comfort stops whenever they open up their mouth to try to explain why Job is going through this. For the next 35 chapters of the book of Job, there's this discourse between Job's friends and Job trying to explain why all of this happened to good old Job. The friends are saying, you know how this world works This world works that you get what you deserve. And so if you're righteous, you get good things. If you're evil, you get bad things. And so, Job, you must have done something horribly evil to warrant all of this bad stuff that has happened. Have you ever felt like that? 
Have you questioned God of saying, why me? Why has this happened to me? What have I done wrong? What is the one thing that I can go and correct, correct to fix this calamity? That's what Job's friends are saying. You've done something wrong. Do you know what Job is saying? He's holding on to his integrity. He's saying, I have done nothing to warrant this calamity. That's the gist of 35 chapters of the book of Job. You can go look more details if you want, but uh, I'll save that for another time. The friends keep on saying, you've done something wrong. Job's saying, look, I haven't. Job goes further into a little bit of discussion of saying, hey, I cursed the day that I was born. It would be better had I never been born, but I haven't done anything wrong. That's where he stands. That's where he is going. He is not giving in to this fact that I have not earned this. He also didn't feel like he earned all the good things either. So he's consistent. The problem is both Job and his friends are viewing the whole situation from a very limited perspective. They're viewing it just from the way that they've seen the world work. Good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. And they they can barely be consistent, saying, oh, it's true here, it's true here, and it's true here. So it must be true with Job. The problem is, it's their limited perspective. How much more different would this conversation have been if God would have revealed what has happened in heaven between him and Satan? If he would have just let Job and his friends know, hey, you know what, actually Satan and I were having a conversation. He put a challenge to me, and I trusted in Job, and look, he did fine. I think that would have, like, that would have ended the debate between Job and his friends. God in his wisdom decided not to reveal that. Job never knew about that conversation. His whole life, it seems. Never knew about that conversation that we are privy to. But that didn't matter because that's not the point. See, somewhere along the way, Job reaches his breaking point. Maybe it was because the the losses have finally caught up with him emotionally. Maybe it was because the pain of the sores was, was too much. Or maybe it was because he was just tired of being accused of things he didn't do. Regardless, he comes to the point and he says, Give me, a, give me a, a, a defense with the Lord himself. Let my accuser stand before me and let me defend myself. Whereas he says in chapter 31, verse 35, if only someone would listen to me. Look, I will sign my name to my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. I will face the accusations proudly. I will wear it like a crown, for I would tell him exactly what I have done. I would come before him like a prince. This is the point whenever Job, this is one of the last things Job says and, and, uh, before God responds. But he says, let me have an audience with God. I'll set this straight. This is dangerous ground. Because he is coming to the point, he has come to the point, the breaking point, whenever he says, all right, Lord, let me tell you why what you did is not just. Let me tell you where you went wrong. He is flirting in some dangerous ground. Job, but if you peel back the layers, Job just wants to know why. 
Why has this happened? Why have all these things come to him? Well, a few chapters later, God answers Job. But he doesn't answer the question of why. He answers a deeper question. But in verse 38, this is one of my favorite questions that God poses in all the Bible. Chapter 38, verse 1, he says this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, or some say a storm, and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. This is when God shows up. Job finally gets what he's wanting, except it's not exactly what he's wanting. God shows up and says, well, Job, you want some answers from me? First, man up. I got some questions for you. If you can answer these questions, I might answer your question. And so he goes into a series of questions, 60 questions, in fact, that, Job, that God has for Job. That's a list. I'm not going to go over all 60 of them. That'll take way too much time. Here's a few that I highlighted to pull out. Verse 4 says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you whenever I created all this? Uh, Verse 19, Where does light come from, Job? Answer me this. Where does the darkness go? That's a good question. Verse 22, Have you visited the storehouses of the snow? I have no clue why that extra O is in there, but have you visited the storehouses of the snow? Just think about this for a second. Have you? I love snow. Like, I can't get enough snow. As a kid, I knew that, and I wanted to store snow. So I know that snow, whenever you try to do something with it outside, it just melts. And so, you know, I think I put it in the freezer. I'll keep my snow. You know what happens to snow in the freezer? It ceases to be snow. It becomes ice. Just think about the fact that God can store snow. And he's got a storehouse of it. Wow. Verse 31. Can you direct the movement of the stars? This is where some some people might say, well, the Bible has it all wrong because we know the stars don't move, it's the earth that moves. God is asking Job on his perspective saying, hey, can you direct the movement of the stars? Because to Job, whenever he's on the the face of the earth, he's looking up, he sees the stars move across. Every one of us still sees the same thing. But God's saying, you can't even do that. I can direct the earth to spin and the stars to seem like they're moving. Chapter 39, verse 27. Is it at your command that the eagle rises to the heights and builds its nest? Do the eagles even listen to you, Job? Chapter 40, verse 9. And this is the harsh one. Will you discredit my justice just to prove you are right? Whole list of these questions that actually at some point, I almost feel like God gets a little sarcastic. Chapter 38, verse 21. But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created, and you are so experienced. I think God has a sense of humor. He's just like, oh, you know this, Job. You got this one. You, you were there, right? I don't think God does this to humiliate Job. I think he does it to humble him. To broaden Job's perspective. You see, up until this point, Job has had this view that it is why 
me? What have I done to warrant this? What do I need to do to fix this? What is it about me that needs to change? And in fact, what Job's perspective is, is selfish. He is focused on him and him alone. And God shows him. You see this whole magnificent world? It's all under my control. In fact, to put this in a word, God is showing Job that God is sovereign. What what does that mean? That may not be a word that we use too often. What it means is that God is in charge of absolutely everything. There is nothing that is outside of God's control. He is in charge of it all. And that right there is a picture that we need to remember Because some of us, like Job, have gone through our trials. Some of us, like Job, have gone through our times of loss, our times of hurting, and we've asked, why me? Why, God, did you allow this to happen to me? And those may be good questions, and we may want an answer for the why me, but God is lifting up Job's eyes, and maybe ours as well, to talk about things that we can't even understand. And it's not to devalue the question of why me, it's to enhance the understanding of why God. Who is God? In this whole discourse, God will even talk about two beasts, two creatures, one called Bohemoth and one called the Leviathan. He says, Job, have you heard about these things, the destruction that they cause? He asks Job, do you know how to tame them? Do you know how to not be burned? Because I do. In fact, every one of these questions God asks Job is a question God knows the answer to. God is the answer to. Every one of these. How would you respond? If God were to show you two wonderful things that you just would not know how to explain, you would not have an answer for, how would you respond? What would that look like? Job responds this way. Chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I who is talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. I had only heard about you before. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Notice, Job responds again in worship. Whenever he sees the whole sovereignty of God, whenever he sees that God is in control of everything, he repents of his arrogance to think that he could counsel God. He repents in dust and ashes and worships God Almighty. You see, that's, when it, that's what happens when you see that God is truly in control of everything. Job's question of why me doesn't matter as much as the question of God, are you in control? You see, Job, the under, underlining of Job's question of why me is why, God, are you allowing this? Are you still in control? And the answer that Job gets is not only is God in control, God is in control of all the things, everything, everywhere, even 
in the calamity. You see, I think the reason Job can respond in worship after all, being through all of this, both through losing everything that he had, then he responds in worship, and then even through the discourse uh, of the discussion with his friends, he can respond in worship after hearing the sovereignty of God is because he understands that if God is in control of everything, then God can walk with you through everything. There is no situation, there is nothing that is outside of God's realm of control. And so if your life feels a little out of control, and you're looking up to heaven, shaking your fist maybe, and saying, why me? What can I do to fix this? What can I do to affect this, to make it different? Maybe you need to hear what Job heard. of saying, look, it ain't about you. This whole world doesn't revolve around you. I'm in control. And no matter what you're going through right now, I am with you. I'm here. You may feel broken, but I'm holding all the pieces. You may feel like your life's about to fall apart, but I'm the one holding you together. You want to know why? Let me show you my love. Because I love you, I created the foundations of the earth. Because I love you, I know why the eagle is up nesting in the heights. Because of my love for you, I am keeping this world spinning. Rest in that. So this morning, maybe you are at a breaking point. You're at the place whenever you just don't know what's going to happen. You're going to snap. Before you snap in a wrong way, consider giving it back to God. To view from a perspective that is not limited to just your own. Just saying, why me, Lord? Instead, focus on who God is and all praise to him in the good times and in the bad. In the eye of the storm, I will praise your name. Whatever it is that you're going through, I want you to know that with God in control, you can praise him. But if you need to lean upon someone, if you need to let some other people know that I am going through some junk and I need some help, I need some prayers, I need, I need you, this invitation's for you. You can come forward and let it be known to the whole congregation. We will all love to pray with you. And, and help walk you through a situation that is difficult, is hard. Or if you need to talk to just one of the elders or ministers, we would love to do that too. But if not one of us, look at the person beside you. Talk to them. You sat with them through a whole sermon. You've endured a lot together. You can endure some more, right? Whatever you need, please don't hesitate. Don't try to bear it alone where it's all about you. Realize that there are people here that love you, but even more importantly, there's a God that loves you and wants you to walk with him. So would you this morning come as we stand and as we sing?